the Neuroaffirming Parent Podcast. This is the show where we talk about neurodiversity, which we understand is the natural variation of human brains. So I'm your host, the Neuroaffirming Parent, and in today's episode, we have an incredibly special guest, neurodivergent children's book author, Louise Gooding. And she's based in the United Kingdom, and she's the author of Wonderfully Wired Brains, which is the best-selling children's book on neurodiversity, and personally, my favorite book to introduce and explain neurodiversity for families. So I think it's a great book as a Christmas gift or for science projects, and you just want to be also prepared for the Neurodiversity Celebration Week that happens every year in March. So I encourage you to follow her on Instagram at Once Upon a Louise and check out some of her newest available books on her website. Without further ado, please welcome Louise. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I am just so much in awe because your book came at a perfect time. And really it's because in my, I love how like similar our brains think when it comes to neurodiversity, because when I first learned about it, just for my selfish things, trying to advocate for my daughter, I was like, wait, I don't want to start at the 1990s advocacy. I want to go back. I'm like, what is the first neurotype? And it's ADHD. So tell me about your experience of doing all the research for this book. It's, I mean, Let's be fair. I, I mean, I am an ADHDer, so there was <laughs> yeah. all of the rabbit holes. It wasn't the research wasn't some linear thing. It yes. was um, open, open one little hatch of information. Find there's another ten trapdoors. Which one am I going to go down? And yes. then get lost down the tunnel. And then find there's a left to go down. <laughs> Anyone who's got <laughs> a differently wired brain should understand that we call it rabbit holes because yes. you just get lost and you never know where you're going to end up. Like I found all sorts of like random information and facts in this book, which were just from like Googling something and going, oh no, that can't be true. And then yes. doing the research, but then finding something else. And, you know, especially um, as you sort of mentioned the whole, you know, history, we heard a bit of a pre-chat, but <laughs> I love history. So the fact that I was actually Googling for a timeline and going, there, there doesn't seem to be a timeline, but let's be fair, brains have always been different. We know that, like, you know, we can't say we don't have neurodivergent history when we have a history of, you know, sort of psychiatric hospitals being open or people doing phrenology or people, you know, even in ancient Egypt when they were were playing around with things, you know, and and, and Greek mythology and, and not even just ancient Greek, you know, all of that we've been, we talk about brain yes. death. But apparently that's forgotten. Like, it's like, oh, it's a new thing. No, it's not a new thing. Like, come on. <laughs> right. And yeah. that's why I think your book is so important because it's a new not only that is like, I find so much research and even like in my research for, because uh, my other lovely passion is literacy, but there's a lot of literacy and a lot of women that dedicated their lives to literacy. And yeah. if they didn't publish a book or if they didn't, you know, write some huge report that was going to be, you know, archived by a country's Congress or a library, it's gone. 
Yeah. Or if there's somebody like me, you and me that care about it. And then we write a book later, it, unless that information is written, it's gone. And that's so scary for me because I love the internet, but mm. we need books. <laughs> yeah. even, even if it's written doesn't mean so. I'm really terrible. Again, I, I apologize to anyone listening to this. I'm My brain will shut off halfway through and forget things. And I'm really bad with names. But I mentioned in the book uh, this lady called Grunya, forgotten her surname. Yes. Um, who so often people associate me talk about autism. Mm-hmm. Um, people go, oh, it's it's this guy, this guy. I'm not going to mention them because I'm like, I'm, I, I'm not going to give them credit in this book because so often people look at these guys yes. and don't realize that a lot of their work was stolen. Yes her research and I was like I'm not I'm never mentioning them I don't want them in the book yes (laughs) Um, one of you know there's still people having diagnosis of one of their names which again not going to mention it yes um but you know her you know she she did have published work but it just so happened that Jewish female Russian no you know these German guys were not obviously going to credit some someone fitted in in those categories but she she was amazing because she was really um she made note that she that she noticed that uh, autism in girls and boys presented differently and that was phenomenal that was like way before the time of other people I mean even still now there's still some people who are still learning that but you know she was she was looking at it and we have to be clear probably she wasn't you know it's back yeah, she's way probably back not then. the first they probably either weren't doing the best <laughs> oh true yeah it's, yeah it's probably not doing the best um or you know it's some of the stuff is a bit like oh, we don't really say that anymore but you know for her time she was way ahead of her time and making all these you know acknowledgements of the differences and how that needs to be studied and if you then look at the history of it I think it was forgotten for so many years so anyways you know, women, yes, sorry, we're, we're yes. writing your stuff down, even if you do write it down, um, sometimes it still gets stolen, so you just have to make sure you're loud nowadays, and so no one can say okay, no. <laughs> Absolutely, and I've, that's why I love the internet, because like if I am talking to a friend on Instagram, and we're like, we have questions, I'm like, hold up, give me 10 minutes, let me search it, because, and that's why I love your book too, it's like, I feel like I tell people all the time, like, are we riding the same brainwave? Because what led me to Grunya was this article in the spectrumnews.org called The New History of Autism. And the yeah. author, David Dobbs, he goes deep into it. And what blew me away is that he even mentions that the first technically observed behavior of autis- autism in a person is actually a 13th century monk. And Mm -hmm. there's research behind it. There's like a lot of people that are collectively like, yeah, he's showing signs, but Grunya is like this article, I'm going to put it in the show notes because it really goes deep into it. And the overlap I see is also in the gifted community because there's a lot of, unfortunately, eugenic people that in the 1900s, just because they thought it was what they were doing best. And they, and even, and I'll reference, like there's people like Temple Grandin today who kind of make these comments and people are like cringe, but some people do feel like, oh, I had difficulties in my childhood. I wouldn't want somebody like me to go through those same difficulties. But I think yeah. the difference is, is we, we need everybody to have autonomy. Like, just because you had a difficult experience doesn't mean the same exact person would have the same experience. And that's why I personally fight. I want this idea of a neuroinclusive 
future because the environment is the teacher that we forget about. And the environment is the part of accommodations and modifications that a lot of people forget. And I hope this podcast kind of explains that to people. Cause just like you mentioned, you know, like I am aware that my guests are going to be neurodivergent. I'm neurodivergent too, but I have the wonderful privilege of flexibility because I'm a stay at home mom. Now we homeschool. And so, and I have international friends too. You're the first international guest on the show. Um, but I want to be flexible for those people because, and honestly, I just, I want to treat this as kind of like an archive of conversations because if we don't talk about this, who will, you know? And I get you, especially, you know, I mean, I think we do what we do because we don't want anyone to go through what we probably went through as kids because yes. we didn't have the same support. I mean, that was a big thing. I mean, I, I probably, people always say like, what was your inspiration? And there's, there's lots of reasons I was inspired <laughs> to write this book. Um, but if I can be completely honest, a lot of it was through, I shouldn't say anger, but it was almost anger because- That's my I, account. That's my account. Know, I run on and, knives. <laughs> it sounds terrible. And I'm like, you know, it is written from a very positive, I'm very passionate about this. But I started writing it because one, I, I, I got treated you know, terribly as a kid. I was living in a country that didn't actually have much neurodivergent support for kids. So in Switzerland, it's still quite, even though everyone's like, oh, it's quite progressive in Switzerland. No, in other aspects, it's not. They're still like the, the education and neurodivergent awareness and um, inclusivity is, is lacking in some yes. schools. Um, and I was just seeing my kid go through worse trauma mm. than I and fighting a system and going this shouldn't be difficult this should be knowledge that everybody has and then I would go to bookstores and I would say okay as a parent and as someone who is neurodivergent I'm gonna read I'm gonna yes. see what I can find to read now I'm a reader I love books but a lot of a lot of neuroinclusive books on neurodiversity are not actually neuroinclusive. Like my brain shuts down. Yes. I literally struggle to read them because they're so full of like data, facts, and this person says that, and here I'm going to make this massive long re reference that's paragraphs long, which doesn't really relate to anything. Now you've lost where you are. Now you've forgotten what we're talking about. And I was just going, why is this so com? Like, why is this still being written for people who you would assume would know what you're talking about? Like, where's the stuff like? Or we assume that they care. <laughs> yeah, and but where's the stuff like, like for beginners, you know, like why have we got nothing that's really breaking it down first level? I mean, I think there should be levels. Like, you know, I think Wonderfully Worried Brains, I hope, is considered a first level book. You know, it's maybe a bit beyond that, hopefully. But, you know, it really lays down that groundwork of like... A foundation, yeah. I like of, that. Of, of being able to understand it and then beyond that yeah we do need the next steps up and if you want to read some of the really hefty books great good for you but my brain literally couldn't process them and I was like how yes. am I ever going to learn and I was having to go online going on online communities um, joining talks um, listening to podcasts that's how I had to educate myself and I was like, why is this not being made accessible? And, you know, you think of teachers who are then going to bookstores, probably with, you know, similar mindset of I should educate on myself on this because the amount of children we have in schools um, with diagnosis is, is up. Um, yes. And that's not because there's more of it. It's just more understanding. 
Um, and neurodiversity includes anxiety and depression, which do happen in children. We want to deny it all we can, but these are real things. Yeah. And that's why it was, again, important for me just to put that in the book. Like, you know, neurodiv- there's neurodivergence and then there's neurodiversity and yes. there's lots of different things. And, you know, especially after COVID, I think a lot of kids really suffered like with anxiety and, yes. and schools, you know, kids who maybe were masking uh, at school, unmasked at home for all that time at COVID and then went back into school and struggled to put the mask back on and then have developed anxiety and depression. And um, it was just really important for me just to cover all grounds, but to give teachers, educators a base to understand, um, again, that's that wasn't going to be too wordy. That wasn't going to be too just you know, a book that they would pick up and go, well, I can't be bothered to learn about this now because it's just too intense or too, you know, too much. Well, and I, can I shout out your publisher? Because anytime, like, and that's how I discovered your book was following DK books on Instagram, because I'm constantly on the lookout for new books for my kids. And also, also all their books are so shiny and I want them all, but your book is so bright and yellow. And even when it came in the um, packaging, like my kids were like, Ooh, I want to look at that book. What's that book? And yeah, I think it's great that you wrote it in mind for accessibility and everybody to pick it up and understand because in America you know in the UK you have lovely laws and you care about your people in America we have a lot of violence in our schools and the articles I read are they blame the classrooms they blame the pandemic they blame they blame virtual learning and I'm like you're ignoring neurodiversity because it's okay to be angry but these kids don't have a safe space to express those emotions so yeah, violence is going to happen. And it, and for me, it's just like, how can you, we have neuroscience, we have brain imaging. How can you ignore all this information? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really, yeah, an interesting yeah concept. But yeah, I just think making, yeah, making it accessible and giving kids a voice to be able to understand it themselves and be able to stand up and said, um, and you sort of mentioned as well, like going for like a science project, there was a, a young girl that picked up my book and decided at her end of year science fair, she was going to do a talk on neurodiversity and her reference, her big reference point was wonderfully wired brains and she had it Yay! on the side. And I do say it in the book, this is the tip of the iceberg. There's so yes. much so much more to to look up there's so much more to discover and you know don't let this book be a you know a stop point don't let be, it a, be stepping a stepping stone stepping stone to yeah. more rabbit holes exactly. <laughs> and, and I really hope you know I have suggested there's the lovely book I don't know if you've read it called a different sort of normal um I think it's on my book list is, I need to read yeah so it is obviously for again older older kids um probably I would say sort of maybe sort of 10 plus because there sort of gets into that senior school sort of bit a bit you know a little bit Mm. Um, but again it's just really brilliant and there's so many times where I just you know I've, I've probably got books books are plenty to recommend to people which I think do an amazing job um but not often are there many you know in non-fiction books to find so yeah I, I was it was really just I was just blown away and she just wanted I think she's neurodivergent herself so she just wanted her classmates and her school to to understand her a little bit more yes um, 
and to understand that it wasn't really hard when when she referred to neurodiversity it wasn't a big word that was scary and you know as you saw in the book you open up in the first page I just start with nature you know biodiversity yeah (laughs) because again people go neurodiversity and they they come up with all these different ideas and they don't, don't even consider to realize that it starts at that level of biodiversity from from you know from a leech to a whale to a spider to you know a donut shaped brain you know we've all got different brains so yes yeah which brings me to ask you about your another book you have called just like me a collection of true stories about inspiring people famous figures all around the world all with something that makes them physically or neurologically diverse and I have to put, I'm going to say this quickly here because someone once said, why did you say physically diverse and not disabled? And I'm going to put just meant answer that now because I think it's a Go very, ahead. Yeah. very important point. Because in this book, I didn't just look at disability. There are people who have, um, you know, maybe physical differences like in their terms of burns or, or sort of skin disorders or diseases or such they've, they've been affected by. Um, and so I wanted, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just disability, if that made sense. It was yes. visible difference as well. And a lot of visible differences are physical and you would see them. Um, so, yeah, that's why I put the two, because we ran out of space oh, of <laughs> on the book uh, book cover. And I was like, well, that kind of covers it. And it's and it's not just disabled. Um, it's people who, like Turia Pitt, who's amazing, uh, a brilliant, brilliant person who does so much work um to um to raise money for different charities and different groups and for burns victims so she got caught um in a wildfire in australia oh. and got absolutely um head to toe covered in severe burns mm. and at one point was told you're probably not you know she thought she wasn't going to make it and people yeah. weren't sure what was going to happen and she's back basically running these ultra marathons doing all of these <sighs> things so that cool. she did before um on on a scale where she you know yeah she she gets people out and about and encourages other people to take up running and and do things and she's such an amazing human I just think if you see her she's so lovely and just warm and passionate about everything she does um but yeah that's why in just like me we didn't say just disabled because it's a mixture of mixture yes of <laughs> well and I, what I'm finding is a lot of people and when I get it like I know when I was growing up like I didn't feel comfortable calling a friend disabled because I was like no they still have abilities to do stuff but then I looked in the research and the history and it's not about describing the person it's about describing their environment and I know it was kind of controversial post I made the other day because a lot of people were like well I don't want to say disabled and I'm like that's okay you have autonomy you can choose whether to use that word or not but for parents like me or people that are fighting for you know just insurance to cover certain benefits Yes, you have to use the term disabled to explain your environment of why you're not able to work, why you're not able to have an education like other kids, why, you know, you need certain accommodations and modifications just to do things that you know your abilities are capable of. And if I could shout out UK too, because when I was pregnant, I binge watched all the Call the Midwife um, which for us is on PBS and for y'all it's for uh, BBC. A lot of things. But, I'm fully biased. I love the UK. But there's an actor, Matt Frazier, 
and he is an English rock musician, actor, writer, and he has um, a physical difference, like we've been talking about, or disability, and it's from a drug that his mother unknowingly took that caused this difference. And the the difference I want to point out is, I, I feel like, I don't know if it was the same year, but I saw it the same year, but there's a show called American Horror Story in America, and it was the freak show um, episode. And, you know, that's the problem with disability history in America is a lot of our disabled people were forced to find jobs, try almost exploit themselves and not mm -hmm. to give themselves autonomy. But there is a... I guess empowerment in that way too, because you get control of your image and then you get to, you know, perform, entertain people and make money off of that, right? So that was the American show that he did. But in Call the Midwife, they actually explored his exact condition and they give education about how doctors were prescribing this drug and how it was fueled by the pharmacy company. Um, just, corruption. I'm terrible at pronunciations, but for me, it was such a dichotomy. And then when I researched it, you know, like you did with your book for neurodiversity in America, it's still misinformation in the sixties. We just didn't talk about it. We just like, it took them longer to take the drug off the market in America than in the UK. And I was mm -hmm. just like, that makes sense of why we can't fight this stigma and disinformation about neurodiversity it just takes longer. And I'm so glad that you wrote this book because when I was searching for resources for my daughter, the best sources were the UK. There's Nessie Learning, there's Twinkle Resources, there's the British Dyslexia Association. So yeah. I know a lot of people probably ask you, you know, like, why did you write this book? But for me, it came at such a perfect time. So I can only say thank you. Thank you so much for writing this book because it, I'm going to use this for years. I'm going to buy more. I'm going to give one to my daughter. I'm going to give one to my son because neurodiversity doesn't go away. It's hereditary. When they have a family, if they choose to have children, these are things they need to talk about. But are there other things that you didn't realize until after you published the book, how useful it would be? Um, I mean, the biggest thing is, as I said, I wrote it for, I kind of wrote it for myself selfishly at first, um, because I, I wasn't writing a book, if that makes sense. I was, I had just done Just Like Me, and um, that was something I found, I said, really empowering, because, you know, not only do I have um, ADHD, I do have uh, a degenerative disc disease in my back, so mm -hmm. my, my, I get back pain a lot, and I also have a really horrendous um uh, whiplash injury which flares up still yeah you know so I do like you know like Frida Kahlo the living in pain thing is something yes. I really related to um and so I think it's just when you sit there and you you realize and you mentioned there like the history of like how people were treated and is there an empowerment I still sit there and argue maybe maybe not because they weren't given an opportunity like we have today if that makes yes. sense like I feel uh, like that's so much with creators today too, because a lot of people will be like, well, why are you talking about autism or dyslexia? And some people that's their only way to make an income. So why would you judge them for that? If, you know, we're in a capitalist society, that's how you make money. Don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think it's something as well. Like, you know, I said, I mean, I, I'm obviously able to do what I do because 
I happen to have ADHD, if that makes yeah. sense. You know, so I do come from a place of lived experience, whether it's living in with pain or being neurologically different. You know, there's ADHD and I would say ADHD plus because as we've all worked out, there's always loads of comorbidities. Yeah. Well, other oh, I have a question. Do you on. feel like book publishing today is more inclusive for neurodivergent authors? Sort of. <laughs> I think be careful that I think I think sort of I think it's a starting place if that makes sense I think it's the same with any group if that mm. makes sense I think and I still think that um I mean let's just have a look at some of the books in America which are getting banned they're yes. getting banned because people are afraid of the truth of stories yes um and I think that for disabled and neurodivergent authors, the door has only just begun, and you know the like the door's only just opened, and the and the journey's only just begun because publishers and people are, are watching everything yes. else that's gone with every other sort of diversity group that they have been you know trying to be more inclusive and mindful of and and celebrate and seeing the responses. So now, I guess. They're aware there could be hit, like a bit of a comeback on 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 things. Um, well, they but, haven't banned podcasts yet, so that's a good thing. So <laughs> yeah, but you know, do you know what I mean? Though, like, I think I think the doors literally just opened for us. So there's yes, oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think, and I hopefully I haven't heard from her. Do you know who Maysoon Zaid is? Um, she was in the book, my first book. Uh, Maysoon Zaid is uh, an amazing, like amazingly beautiful uh, American actress. Um, I think she, I follow her. Yeah, yeah. She she's got a um, she's got a children's book. I think coming out. Last time we spoke, it was really weird speaking sometimes to some of these people because I'm like, oh hello, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you do things and you have a following, and I'm a nobody. But hello. <laughs> No, but I feel like I know you from this book, like, and even with this conversation, like, it feels like talking to an old friend, not some person I've never even met before. And you are so kind and friendly. Like, I tell people, like, follow her. Like, and I love your Powerpuff Girl bag. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I need that. I just I think I mean I'm just I'm just I always say I'm just me and I've kind of worked this out again especially with the said these some of these bigger name celebrities that you know I've, I've I mean I've, I was in touch with Michael Phelps's wife for God's sake, you know oh, so cool. like and Simone like, Biles you and she's ADHD I too to I didn't get to speak to Simone Biles there's a few people I didn't get to speak to but some people I did um some people who made me laugh so much so there's a guy Harsh Songra, who's in the, the book, um, in Wonderfully. And I, men- I remember emailing him and going, I really, really want to include you. And he does all this IT stuff. He's a typical head down IT guy. And yeah. I was like, this whole flowery thing of why I wanted to include him, because I thought it was really cool what he did. And I just got a reply of, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most <laughs> IT guy, like, <laughs> like okay. <laughs> just like nothing else nothing flowery and I laughed so much because I was like I I just loved that it was just such a like a great response I pictured like the UK office like a scene in my head (laughs) yeah like me being all flowery and like giving him lots of praise and it was just this one word like yeah fine (laughs) my husband does that too (laughs) and there's other people who you know like um 
oh I, I'm terrible with names but like some of the others where we had a bit more of a to and fro and that's that's really nice and um and then they're quite invested of why and they maybe read the message so I think Evie uh, Evie Meg her she and her family read what I was going to write before it went yeah. into the book which I gave all of them the option to do because again I'm writing someone else's story on this one um and I but want you're to good sure. at it you're really good at it <laughs> I want to make sure especially with you know DK as well said this like give people the option you know we didn't have so much maybe without the just like me um but DK were really um keen on 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 making sure that everyone had the chance to read and be okay with it and um so Stephen Wiltshire who's also mentioned in the book um I don't mention his diagnosis because his family and he were like it's not really relevant I feel that um you know we want people to focus on the fact that he's an amazing artist and I was like that's fine I don't need to mention diagnosis even if you're an amazing artist I think that needs celebrating like what he can do you know is just phenomenal like we don't have to mention that why and if that's again you should say the autonomy of like he got to choose and say yes you know, and, and he's had papers written about him. You can literally Google and people have written and, and published his diagnosis. And oh. I've then found out because but most of them have never asked my permission. That's true. So, like, and you don't I know. Yes. Who had actually said, what would you like me to? And he went, no. And I was like, okay. And that, that, that scares me. How many people have never publicly acknowledged their diagnosis yet? are not having it taken away of like their choice to have that you know like I just think that's crazy well even like huge people like Arnold Schwarzenegger just in a podcast like last month admitted that he has dyslexia and I was watching his documentary on Netflix and I was like the whole time I was like I think he's dyslexic I think and my husband was like you think everybody's dyslexic like hush (laughs) but you know like they're for people that don't realize how sometimes saying your diagnosis can help but also we have to be respectful and that's why on my account I do say that like don't fall into this trap of oh it's identity first everything or oh it's person first everything ask the person individually because it varies as well yeah in the book I said that if you're not sure just ask someone you know and and then people go oh but you shouldn't ask well same Sometimes with, you, yes. maybe you have a conversation around it about you maybe if you don't want to ask directly, say, look, hey, you know, I I don't know how best to identify. And it's the same with anything, you know, it's the same pronouns, like we assume. Yes, gender. Pronouns. Yeah, exactly. You know, don't just assume. It's the same with someone else. And if someone looks like they're struggling, don't just assume it's because they're neurodivergent. Just say, hey, is there anything you need to share with me that would make this easier, like for accessibility oh, or for like... You know, you can choose your wording to acknowledge that someone's maybe struggling with something without throwing a diagnosis at them or or, or making yes. them feel that they have to share that diagnosis. Like, you know, sometimes I think one of my kids, they don't say, um, oh, I'm autistic. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like to do that. She just says, look, sometimes it's really difficult for me to process what's going on with all this noise. And she just talks about, the specific thing she's struggling with there and then without yes. giving she said because again for her she's like the minute I say oh it's because I'm autistic people go oh and then they have yes. all these other assumptions because they're just not educated and what that means so she goes I will just pick the thing that I need the help with explain it a bit 
get support there. And if I have to tell people, I'll tell them. But otherwise, it's none of their business if I don't want people to then start treating me differently or being different around me. Yes, boundaries are important. But also, that's a yes. And that's a good point because when you are like me or if you have multiply neurodivergent or if you are 2E, if you have more than one neurotype, you can't always unpack. Like, is this my dyslexia that's causing this issue or something else? No, you're perfectly right. Like, yeah, just see what you're struggling with and how to ask for help in that area at that moment. That's genius. That's so funny because she's, she's like, I'm just like, no, yeah, sorry, ADHD. I always say to people straight away, when I go into new environments, I am just, I just wear, and it's not my identity, but I just say, look, I've come into here, probably going to said to you when I first came in, my, my brain will shut down. It won't be able to access all the knowledge I maybe need. It's ADHD live. Just be aware that you know, yes. it, it does what it does. And I would rather, and you know, even going into a room now with people, I know I'm rubbish with names. So I tell people, look, it's not that I'm being rude. I just have a bad time processing names. Even if I think you're an amazing person, it might take me at least three weeks, yes. 20 times of meeting you. Maybe I'll get it. And, you know, and just know that that's, again, it's not me being rude. It's just how my brain works. And people just go, oh, I just normalize the whole well, you want to know opposite of that my daughter since she knows how to read now thanks to structured literacy my husband took her to the store and she um we were leaving and she wanted to say bye to the lady and so she just read the name tag and she said bye rose and you know it's funny because people are like oh she's so well mannered like that is so cute and i'm like it's because she can read <laughs> so like don't assume people are rude but also it's the same thing. You can't just assume people are nice. Like, I mean, she is nice. She's a wonderful little girl. But when you have like name tags, when you see somebody's name, that's so helpful. I keep saying to people, I just, I might just, maybe I should, maybe we should normalize that. Maybe between the two of us, we should carry around like a pack of stickers, you know, they do. Yes. <laughs> like school. And like my name is, um, everywhere we go, like, I, we're new here. I'm rubbish with names. So to make it easier for me and maybe others, because maybe others don't want to admit they're also rubbish with names, we're yes. going to have stickers. Like how, how, how great would that be if we just normalized st- stickering ourselves? Inclusive. I love it. I love it. And I, that brings me to, I think one of your most important books besides wonderfully wired brains is the memory book. I need to get that too, because I think the older we get, the more neurodiversity affects all of us because we know mom brain, we know when we age, our memory goes too, but Alzheimer's and dementia are also a part of neurodiversity as well. So, and also my, my grandmother, she has Alzheimer's. And before she passed, like she only remembered me and I felt so guilty as a kid because she couldn't remember my mom, my aunt, my sister. And I was like, what, why is it she could remember me? But I just felt grateful that she did have some kind of recognition at that time. And as my mom gets older, I know that's a reality. So tell me a little bit more about your inspiration behind the memory book. Um, So the the memory book was based on the fact that my grandmother um had dementia and um I used to go and visit her again with my small young children and there was always just questions and again yet again I went and you know we always do don't we there's some of us that always go let's go and look for books on this subject yes (laughs) 
what you do. Um, and again, I couldn't find anything much. And my grandmother was an educator. She worked with Sen children. Um, she was brilliant. She was like, everyone should have access to stories, whether it's um, they should write them, they should read them. If they can't, can't read well then find this and if it's because they're not interested find things they're interested if it's if they love reading receipts well supply them with receipts if they love this then maybe they can't read at all maybe they should have audiobooks she had this whole spiel about how yes. stories should always be accessible in every format and words and words as I said could just be a shopping list and if your child wants to read a shopping list well write a shopping list every day if that's what yes. keeps them happy she was this really amazing character and um yeah when she when she passed there is a bit of a story here i'm going to shock everybody okay so the original story wasn't called the memory book i wrote it before obviously i found a publisher mm-hmm. um and it was a completely different story it was a completely different story it was basically um a life journey almost where we got to the dementia and things just stopped as such you know a bit and slowed down and then it even sort of ended with the fact that she wasn't there anymore if that makes mm. sense um so it was a lot I didn't know much about publishing or writing when I first wrote this book it was far 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 far, far too long to be a picture book but I didn't know I was just writing because I was inspired by her and and the different things and the life the things that we do Cathartic, yeah too. but also because when my grandma passed away we discovered that you can put cremations in fireworks that's awesome we literally blew my grandma up at the end I think (laughs) I want that I think I want that go out with a bang Uh, exactly exactly but it was yeah obviously that's not where we went with the book at all memory books nothing (laughs) (laughs) but you know that's where the inspiration came from I really just knew that there was I needed to find a way of telling a story about and you know handling and working with a family member with dementia because it is hard it's difficult and there's not there is access to some help but again it's like all neurodiversity you know if you've met someone with dementia you've met someone with dementia one person yes and it's always different it might be relevant to their experiences or their environments um and I was really lucky and and I love the fact that you know it's in the original versions we went with memories and so we kept that you know it was different different completely different yeah <laughs> but we kept within looking at photos and having that connection with you know her granddaughter to look at old photos to almost remind everybody that she's had a full life and photos can continue and just because it's dementia's part of her story it's not the end of the story and that's how I kind of play it a little bit in the in the book and it's quite hopeful and I think really does um you know sort of carry the story obviously I don't go into some of the harder aspects because it yeah. is still children um but I really do hope it, it it does sort of help a lot of families who are maybe going through that journey with a family member themselves but yeah it's just that, that was why I wrote it anyways. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Cause that's another thing people don't understand about giftedness, especially before kids even hit school ages. I was five years old when my grandmother passed and a lot of people told me, Oh, you're so mature for handling this. But I just took it as a matter of fact, like she was my grandmother. My mom had me late in life. So, and she even had my mom late in life. So mm-hmm. I just thought it was a natural order of things. And that's called existential questioning in the gifted community 
And I think we need more books like this. And I'm absolutely that mom. Like if we have a question, like my son, like we finished potty training, but he had a few issues, like still trying to remember. And he kept having accidents. And then I went to a bookstore and we found this book and it was like talking about how, yes, you have to pee and you have to find a bathroom everywhere you go. And it's okay. And it talked about holding it the whole time. And these stories are a way for kids and families to access hard situations or hard topics, sometimes with humor, sometimes with love. And, you know, your book is perfectly titled because my husband, his two grandparents passed from COVID during COVID. And what do we have left? Memories. We have pictures. We had to go through pictures to submit for the website. And we talk about all the good times we had. You know what I mean? And, and my aunt, she just passed away earlier this year and she's like 10 years older than my mom. And a lot of people ask me like, or, you know, a lot of people are nice or like, thank you. Like, or not thank you, but sorry for her passing. And I was just like, well, she did live a long life and she chose, cause she had cancer, but she chose not to get treatment. So she had that autonomy and she got to spend it with her children. My mom got to fly up to see her. She got to spend it with her grandchildren. And I think that's so important as we get older is, you know, my mom was a nurse. She worked in nursing homes and there's a lot of families that I wouldn't even say that they forget to visit. It's just, it's hard. You don't know how to visit. So I think books like these are good because it's something you can take with you. You can read it together. You can talk about it and prepare for it. And it doesn't have to be scary. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm also, I have to shout them out. I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky to have some brilliant publishers. Not only that, amazing illustrators behind me working with me um along yes I love Ruth I follow her <laughs> Ruth, who did the memory book I I love the fact um and when I said to her look you know if you look at just like me I really like you know I really want diversity front center and everyone on D the DK team I think everyone in more or less the people I was working with were all glasses wearers and they're like how do you feel we put lots of glasses in this book and I was like L- listen my husband like- saw the book he's like did they steal a picture of you and I'm like I don't I don't know <laughs> but like you know it was so nice like Ruth I mean Ruth didn't even need to be asked really she just got you know got it and she did such a beautiful job at memory book Erica Meza I mean the fact that, you know that black and white with bursts of color imagery that she uses is just like beautiful and the cat that's featured in the book is her actual cat so there's a thing there so my actual, hamster fit, my, actual, um, my, my actual hamster you know featured in wonderfully wired brains oh. her actual cat features in the memory book and then obviously I had Angel Chang Melissa um hold on I've got everyone's name this is when my brain shuts down I'm got Melissa Iway like I've got them up here uh, Angel Chang, Katerina Delicari, Melissa Iway, and yeah, um, Dante Gabrielle Hookie. All amazing. Sorry, my, this is where my brain shuts down and it's just like forget people's names, but I do love them. Yes, no, I know. I totally understand. And, and I think that I have to say that because these books wouldn't be out there or doing what they do or grabbing people's attention if it wasn't for their artwork. So, you know, I can write the words, but it would be a bit rubbish, wouldn't it, if, if there were just books that had no pictures in for kids so I have to give them full credit and shout them out because they are amazing humans and then I wanted to ask so what is your favorite part about this author journey because I know on your website you also do Q&A's for school Mm -hmm. what is your favorite part so far I like 
working with kids. I think that's my, I've, I've really discovered, I mean, I knew I liked working with kids. What I've really discovered, and especially with wonderfully wired brains, is the ability to go in and speak to whole classes and talk about um, self-confidence, self-esteem, mm. about how our brains all work differently and function, getting people to, I mean, I do workshops where I get people to, we, we say in the book, the building blocks that make you you, if you remember oh, those, cool. that bit in there. And I do these workshops with schools. I'm doing a couple next year for a big science festival. I've been booked to do this with, uh, you know, people. And it's even getting in the kids who maybe don't identify as neurodiverse, um, who may discover that when they look at their building blocks, their brain is so different to the person next to them. Um, yes, you'll see it. You can see it in there. Um, that they may, they are. They are. Everyone is neurodiverse because we are made up of our own experiences, things, and everything. Can and I tell you my favorite I, quote from your book? Go on then. What's my? I love where you said, "Is there anyone out there with a brain just like mine?" Probably not. There is no one out there with a brain exactly like yours. We have many things in common with other people, but each person's brain is uniquely wired in its own special way. And that's what I want to say with my account and this podcast is like, I'm sure people are like, what neuroaffirming? What's that? Is that for me? If you have a human brain, I'm saying this is for you. Yes. (laughs) And it's learning that set on a, on a foundation base level that we can all identify with this this subject in one way or another. And once we all understand that, it makes it so much more accessible to then talk about, you know, beyond that and the different neurodivergent differences, you know, but getting everyone just to understand on a base level, that would, that would already give us a massive stepping stone to getting this as an understood subject, I think. Yes. And so we're going to close out this episode I want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this journey into the world of neurodiversity, neurodiversity affirming parenting, and we just want everyone to remember to embrace their own neuroaffirming practices. We're not just parenting our own children or teaching students or having clients that are neurodivergent or even neurotypical too. We want to help everyone blossom into their own authentic selves. So if you've liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe, like, share, follow Louise on Instagram, leave us a review, go to Louise's website and check out all the wonderful books and opportunities she has. But until next time, keep nurturing those neuroaffirming connections.